You're listening to Kiama Community Radio. This program is brought to you by Kiama Leagues Club, the modern, friendly heart of Kiama. Welcome to Around the Arena's Kiama Community Radio sports program, where you can regularly hear what's happening in sport across the region. This week, I had the absolute pleasure in talking to a local athlete who left me feeling tired just discussing her sport and her training regime. Jay Gaffey is a dentist who is also highly accomplished in martial arts and kickboxing, and now she's taking on the sport of ultra-length triathlons. She recently won the Ultraman Triathlon, as it is known, on the Sunshine Coast, where competitors are challenged with a 10-kilometre swim, followed by a 515-kilometre bike ride, and they finish with a double marathon. I sat with Jay and discussed her accomplishments and her planned goals for the future. I hope you enjoy this amazing athlete's story. This afternoon I'm talking to Jay Gaffey. As we work through this, I think you're going to be absolutely astounded. There are athletes in our town, and there are athletes in our town. And I'm talking to one of those athletes. Jay actually competes in what is known as the Ultraman Australia, and it's a worldwide competition, I believe. It is, yeah. So, um, and it's called Ultraman. You compete in it, and you've actually won. So, welcome to Kaima Community Radio First, Thank Jay, you. and um, I'm pleased to have you here. Thank you. So, Jay, you're from Britain, and you're a kickboxing Thai and Taekwondo. Taekwondo. That's, that's the background I came yeah. from. Yeah. So, so why triathlons? Why this sort of exercise, or did you start this as a supplementary? I oh, get cross-training and all that sort of stuff, um, but this is a different level, what you're doing. I used to do taekwondo and kickboxing at quite a high level, and when I moved here, I couldn't quite find the club that I wanted to train with. So in the meantime, I bought some trainers, they're cheap, and started running. And um, it was never meant to be a sport I enjoyed. I hated running at school. I got thrown out the cross-country team for monkeying about. But actually, when you've got a lot on, it can be quite a relaxing thing to run, as crazy as that might sound. And so I started enjoying running, and then for a series of random left and right turns and bets, ended up doing my first triathlon. You're also a dentist. Yes. So was the running something to do with relaxation after work or something like that, or just physical exercise? I mean, you look very, very fit. I think sport's the best form of exercise in the world. That, That old saying, healthy body, healthy mind, it's absolutely right, and we've known that for centuries. So I think running, as much as any other sport, is a great form of relaxation. So you move to Australia, you take up running, and then you go to another level. My understanding is then you signed up for triathlon, but there was one little caveat in that. You couldn't swim. Not particularly. Well, for the UK, I would say I could swim. I could do a absolutely kick-ass doggy paddle I do, used to do something that's known as a um, Tarzan swim. People who do water polo will know it. It's oh, where yes. you have your head up. Swim with so head. I could swim extremely well without damaging makeup or hair at any stage. Um, <laughs> I didn't know how to turn at the end of pools to dive or really any other stroke. So um, I could probably swim like a really good six-year-old here, I'd say. And now, why was that? You couldn't put your face down. You were afraid of the water? I just never was taught. Well, I grew up in inland the UK. It's only a tiny island, I suppose. But a lot of people really don't learn to swim. In fact, I have plenty of friends in the UK who put in water were drowned. So the fact I could tread water well and do my killer Tarzan swimming was better than many people I know today back at home. So you've decided to to get into triathlon. How'd your first one go? 
<laughs> the first one I did, well, in fact, I signed up to do an Ironman before I'd even done a single triathlon because I just thought it'd be quite fun. And there's nothing like a 3.8k swim to motivate you to learn to swim. My first one I did was in Wyong and it was something called the Super Sprint. So it's meant for kind of young kids and beginners and things. And I was last out the water, dead last. And that was out of two waves of people that went. When I got to transition, my bicycle was the only one left. I was overtaking old men and children on bicycles and everything on the, on the bike leg. But I actually won my age group. So in triathlon, they drive it divided out by age group. So I actually won that, I think, out of embarrassment because I've never run so hard in my life. <laughs> so you started the triathlon and you've progressed to this ultraman. Am I, I calling the right thing here? That's right, Ultraman. But even though you're... A female. It sounds sexist, doesn't oh, it? But it's some, a branded name. Yeah. There will be, a, it will be something happen soon. Where Ultra woman. Ultra, Ultra maiden. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I've got my head around this correctly. You've gone from not being able to swim, you enter a, you enter a, a competition which is called Ultraman, and yeah. the swim distance is 10 kilometres. That's right. 10 kilometres. Yeah. You're going to swim from here to Albion Park Rail, yeah. so to speak. I hadn't thought of it like that. We could probably do that right now, if we're honest. <laughs> I find that amazing. And then you follow that up with a 420-kilometre bike ride. That's great, yeah. And when you finish that, you go and run two marathons. That's right. So it's over three days, though. It is over three days. So each day you have a 12-hour to complete it. And if you miss any of those days, that's you out. Well, you're allowed to continue, but you're no longer going to be an ultraman. I was going. I was going to say, if I had gone 500k, and someone tried to stop me, I think there would be a problem. Yeah, anyway. lots of animated chat. Yeah, imagine. exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> on day one, you do 10k's of swimming and 140k on a bike. That's right. What motivates you? What drives you to do that? The whole thing. I like a challenge. That's a challenge. And to be honest, and I'm sure this is true with everyone will empathise this, all your listeners, your real moments of achievement in life are never things you've had easily. Whether you've learned a musical instrument and spent hours doing it, that moment when you get a new grade, when you finish a university degree, that gives you more pleasure than sitting on a beach or a deck chair drinking a pina colada. And although you think the pina colada seems like what's going to give you pleasure, it's actually achieving stuff that does. Mm. So the bigger that achievement, the harder that thing is, the more pleasure you get from it. So I know, I know distance is perhaps a slightly left of centre way of doing it, but to me that looked so completely unachievable. The challenge was so great that I wanted to try it. I wanted to just see if I could do it because I knew how amazing that would feel if I could. And it didn't matter if you didn't finish. No, well, you can't be scared of failure and things like this. There's so many things that can go wrong, so many things you can't control, from bicycle malfunctions to bad rain. I mean, the weather when we were up there, they'd changed the days it rained on. It wouldn't have even gone ahead to catching COVID. I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong. You've always, in everything in life, you've just got to try and see what happens, eh? So day one, you've done a 10K swim and a 140K bike ride. That's right. You've got to do that in under 12 hours, and then... What do you do to recover overnight? Because you go into the, the next day oh, with 280k bike. Yeah, recovery is probably the, the, well, the fifth discipline. I'd say the fourth nutrition, and that's very closely tied together. What you eat and drink during the day has profound effects on how well you recover. But recovery is always a the thing they say that is a big difference between professional athletes 
and people who do it recreationally because we're all trying to fit sport in between children and yeah. shopping and working. Yeah. But actually, if you look at the professionals, they don't do huge amounts more, but they spend much more time on recovery. So between those, I've only got a night's sleep and it, it's not like you sleep like a baby. You've got things to plan and you're having weird thirst needs and leaping out of bed with strange twitches and stuff at night. But basically, it was a case of sitting and doing as little as I could like a diva and making a team of people run around and, and feed me and prepare for the next day and look after me. So a lot of my recovery was thanks to my team and my crew who were up there looking after me. And if you handle your recovery well, then you get to run a, a double marathon on day three. Yeah, how's wow. that for a treat? Yeah. How is it? How is it for a treat? But also, I want to throw in, I know a fair bit about the Sunshine Coast because I've, I've spent a fair bit of time up there. Uh, it's not flat. No. And the other thing is, throw in a bit of rain, and then you bring on chafe and things like that, wet feet, blisters, you name it. All this is happening in and around that, those three days of your, your quest for completion. Yeah, How and a few other things. things? Um, on day one, we had a fair bit of rain, about 10 mils. Nothing like we had on day three, thank goodness. It wouldn't have gone ahead. But as well as chafe and blisters and not seeing where you're going when your glasses are wet... And you get very slippery roads. And one of my other competitors, I was against another lady, um, on one of the descents came flying off the bike, the poor thing, and slid all the way down on her arms. And she was bandaged from head to toe with gravel rash and skin missing. So there's actually a lot of risks involved with poor weather. And it can go both ways. Um, if you know the Sunshine Coast, it can be seriously hot. Um, and actually, chafage can just come from humidity. How do you focus? How do you, how do you get past... You must hit the wall, so, they, so yeah. they say. You must get to a point where your body is starting to fail you after that sort of distance. How do you push on? What sort of mental things do you do to, to, to keep going? You train to do those. And you do that subconsciously in life all the time with stuff. When you're at work and you're having a bad day, you don't just chuck everything down and walk out. And you, you, you train a mental strength that takes you through a bad day at work. And it's no different to having a tough day out running. So you, as you're training, um, I've gone up to 50k running which obviously is a lot shorter than 84k run but it gives you plenty of time to go through ups and downs and and struggle and blisters and sore feet and everything else and you come up with lots of little ways to keep yourself going I've always been lucky I'm a sort of a positive person I never plan to fail these things I always assume I'm going to finish but you have mantras you I sing to myself, you, you, you start to understand where your brain is going when things are going wrong and you can catch yourself and bring yourself back to the now if things go wrong. But it is something you plan for and have to train for. Kiama Community Radio, streaming at kcr.org.au. Let's return to an interview I conducted with Jay Gaffey. Jay competes in Ultraman triathlons, where there are three disciplines, a 10-kilometre swim, followed by a 515km bike ride and finishing up with a double marathon. Well, when you talk about training, in those days, it was if you're going to run a mile, you're trying to run a mile and a half. Yeah. So in your training regime, do you ride 400 to make sure you can ride 300? Or In reality for running, you can't do that. People train, in fact, there's a gentleman a few weekends ago um, who did a 200-mile run. You couldn't begin to train to do that. 
But what you do do is do back-to-back -back runs, you train for kit, you train for nutrition, and you put lots of volume in, but in shorter bursts. And that gives you the same sense of cumulative fatigue without the impact of trying to do something so long. In swimming, you can do it. And in cycling, you can do it, just because it's much less, much less impact. Have you done a 10K swim up in the pool up here? No, I didn't. I could have, but that, yeah, I, I lost focus a bit that day. I ended up chatting to all the Shell Harbour Swimming Club. They turned up and a few others, and that way you can procrastinate so well when you've got stuff to do. But I did do 9K. Um, my longest cycle ride for training was 300K. And my longest day racing was only 200, or just short of 280. I get 300 because I have some friends who cycle to Canberra. Actually, that's what I did. To train, I tried to back three days together to try and make it look like the actual race, which is three cumulative days. And my longest training weekend, day two, I cycled to Canberra. And day three, I actually ran Canberra Marathon. So that was, really? funnily enough, you should say that. That was yeah, day two of my longest weekend. Unbelievable. I loved it. Jambu Pass is fun. So you've won Marathon Man. I'd never expected to win Ultraman. I'm not a competitor who normally wins stuff. I still don't understand how I did, really. I just, everything went perfectly. I was very lucky, I think. I'd think it would be more than luck. And a lot of training, perhaps. And a great crew actually makes an enormous difference. If you watch Tour de France, you understand these athletes aren't working in isolation. It's the crew around them that makes it happen. If you were to pull away their crew, there's no way they'd be winning. And it would have been just the same for me. So what makes up your crew? Well, it's an unsupported race. So for the actual race itself, they're feeding you, they're giving you drinks, they're doing first aid, they're navigating. So if you cycle off course and go in the wrong direction, that's your own problem. Um, and that's you out if you don't make it back in time, and that's happened to previous competitors. In the evenings, they're servicing the bikes, repacking the cars, trying to cook your supper. They do absolutely everything. But as I mentioned, it's more than that. It's the guys back here. I wouldn't cycle to Canberra with me, some of my friends. Um, I had people on the 300k ride that I barely rode on my own. I had friends the whole way supporting me. On my long swims, people would just pitch up at Shell Harbour Pool or in the ocean or wherever I were and just join in for a few k's. And then someone else would come in and just keep you going. Just keep you going like yeah. that, eh? But you couldn't do that in a race. You could have a pacer on the run. For the swim leg, you're on your own with someone on a canoe. Obviously, that's yet to be a part. You weren't allowed to just draft them. And mm. um, they were there to provide you with drinks and food and things. 10 k's is a long swim. You need to mm. eat and drink. Even the pros do. Mm. And then on the bike, it was just the person in the bus, the guys in the bus, the four of them. But for the run, you were allowed a pacer for almost all of it. The first 10k, you weren't. But after that, someone could run next to you. They couldn't run in front. They couldn't wind block, but they could run next to you. So what sort of fluid and food do you take on? Because I've heard a story, I've heard oh, more yeah. than one story it's very personal. About, about black gold. Oh, Coke. Flat, it is flat absolutely the bomb. Has to be flat, though. Yeah, flat Coke. Yeah, if it's not flat, it yeah, really can be quite the reverse of good. But, but uh, in other words, it, it must be just a straight sugar hit. Caffeine and sugar. Caffeine yeah. as well. But you certainly wouldn't be able to run a long thing off it. That's just to kind of pick you up when you're struggling. Yeah. The, the thing is, and this is true of a lot of the um, professional athletes who do endurance stuff, you can't just have sugar all day. Imagine if you were to just sit eating Haribo sweets all day, you'd feel rotten. And that's without doing exercise and stressing your body on top of it. So you, you have to eat as much proper food as you can and, and drink electrolytes so you don't get um, problems with salt and lack of electrolytes. But sometimes you just need that hit. You're asking about what you're doing, your brain's not working. And sugar and caffeine's a damn good way of getting things moving again when you feel like you're 
You're getting sluggish. Okay. <laughs> I've had a look at, at the people that do this event. More than 50% are between 40 and 50. Mm-hmm. So people now are, are taking up this sport when I would have thought a glass of Chardonnay after work would probably be the way to go. What happens between 40 and 50? In endurance sports, the older athletes are the ones that are winning. If you look at um, long-distance triathlon today, some of the very top athletes are in their 40s, early 40s. One of the marathon winners in the Olympics was a female, female winner. She was 44. So what happens is your fast-twitch muscles degenerate, but actually your slow-twitch muscles degenerate so slowly. And I think so much of it comes to mental strength. Mentally, you're much tougher at 40 than you are at 20. Sorry, any 20-year-olds that are listening, but it's true. And I would say 50% fitness and 50% up in your head. Also injury. Over time, you must be wearing out joints, you know, ankle joints, hip joints, whatever. And you've also had the opportunity to have a, a few injuries along the way. Yeah. I guess what preventative stuff do you do to prevent injuries? They always say training for long distance is walking a fine line between fit and foobard, shall I say. And it's really difficult. And it's a line that if you even slightly cross over, you're stuffed. Um, And you can feel that the whole time when you're training. I do a lot of strength work, as well as my swimming, my biking and my running. I do three strength sets a week in the gym doing heavy weights. And from 40 onwards, and this includes men, who have a big drop in testosterone, it's really important you keep that strength up for hormone stability and for bone density, of course, as well. Mm. Diet is also really important. So just looking at what you're eating and when you're eating it too, actually. You don't want to eat all that just before you go to bed at night. It's about eating the right things at the right time. Just back on your training, what would a typical week look like for you? It's hard to give you hours because it varies dramatically depending on where you are in your training regime and what you're training for. But usually I would do four swims, four rides, three runs and three gym sets all in one week. Obviously you can't fit that into a normal seven day week so it means you're going to have to back things up or train morning and night which is what I would do quite a lot. And when you put them together it's called a brick. So, for instance, for the training I was doing then, on a Friday, I would do a really long swim, up to three hours, and I'd get straight onto my bicycle, and then I would cycle 150 kilometres was the longest ride I'd do off off that swim. My longest training week was 38 and a half hours. I did a few of them. I took the opportunity of selling my business um, as a dentist in Gerringong, um, and COVID and having no life, (laughs) to actually put those sort of hours in for training. You weren't allowed to train, I don't think, or could you just run around here? Yeah, so I was restricted. Mm. So I couldn't go at the LGA. I know Jamboree so well. <laughs> I have gone up and down Jamboree Pass more times than you can possibly imagine trying to get these Ks in. So it's always been struggling with what restrictions I had at the time. At swimming, of course, was the trickiest. The pools were shut. So we're out in all kinds of horrible conditions, swimming up and down murky, gross rivers and flood conditions and out in the ocean, just trying to get the Ks in. And you have to do that. And I've got to swim. Yeah. Yeah. Another little thing I picked up, why 281.1 k's? I have no idea. I think they're on drugs and they thought up the distances. Mind you, you've got to ask that even with the marathon. Why 42.2? I know, I get that. They measured that. that <laughs> well, with some chap running for help. Yeah, well, well, I assume that was in Greece. Back in... Miles, 
uh, miles or whatever, or chains. And then they changed it a bit, I think, for the official distance to try and go past Buckingham Palace, and then that distance stuck. I mean, they're all sort of quite random distances. Yeah, I'm just amazed when I read that, you know. It's not even a double Ironman, because an Ironman's 3.8k, 180k bike ride, and then one marathon. So why they chose a 10k swim is... Not a double Ironman, yeah. it's more. So I don't really know exactly why the distances are what they are. Just pushing further. Yeah, keeping you alive. Okay, congratulations. It's a magnificent effort. So where to now? What, what's the next thing? Because this is international, this Ultraman It is, but actually the next thing I'm training for is a half Ironman, so quite a bit less distance. Um, I've qualified to do Worlds at Utah. So I'll be training for that in October, off to Vegas, which I've never been to, which I'm excited oh, okay. about. And then after that, I've met a gentleman who's done more things than you could possibly imagine, exceptional athlete, represented Australia many times, and he's doing a big fundraiser for VI, visually impaired athletes. So I'm learning to pilot a tandem um, so I can help him to guide this gentleman um, as he does a fundraiser where he does every single half Ironman in Australia in one year to try and raise money for visually impaired athletes. And so I'm going to do one of them. Luckily, he hasn't asked me to do all of these half Ironman. So I'm just learning the skills, and it's it's tricky. (laughs) It must be. I've seen seen people guiding visually impaired people, and, uh, yeah, no, it's a a magnificent thing you're doing there as well. (laughs) Thank you. Well... It's been fabulous talking to you today. You was, is there anything I might have missed? Is there anything, you, anything else you'd like to tell us about, about Jay Gaffey? Oh, no, no. Just if anyone ever wants to try any sports, ignore everything that everyone tells you. It's amazing how many swimmers said to me they couldn't swim 10K and they can. You can do it. Just ignore them all and give it a go. Okay. We might finish on that note. Thanks very much for talking to me. Thank you. And, and I've really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you. KCR, Kiama Community Radio.org. For the community, by the community. That's all I have time for this week, but if you'd like your sport to be part of the program, contact me at kcradiocontent at gmail.com. I'm Glenn Shepherd, and I hope to see you around one of our sporting arenas. This program is brought to you by Kiama Leagues Club, the modern, friendly heart of Kiama. You've been listening to Kiama Community Radio. The views, information or opinions expressed during this segment are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Kiama Community Radio.